This is Tom Kozik, the head of research and analytics at Hilltop Securities. Thank you everyone for joining us again today. This is the 10th episode of our Politics and Finance Hilltop Securities podcast series for 2021. During these discussions, we consider topics that intersect the worlds of politics and finance at the federal, state, and local levels with a focus on the United States. Recently, we have been concentrating on ESG or environmental, social, and governance themes, and we will consider some of those today. But the world is changing and has been changing right in front of our eyes for just the last couple of weeks. I read on social media a day or so ago that what the U.S. is experiencing today is something like a combination of the movie Groundhog Day and the television show The Twilight Zone. And unfortunately, this is a pretty accurate description, I think, as of for now, anyway. Even though we are close to the end of the summer in 2021, vaccinations are available, COVID-19 infections, hospitalizations, and deaths are on the rise again. To talk about what we are facing, we have someone who has spent over two decades in public finance-related positions in consulting, government, and most recently, she has been at a major ratings agency. Today, we have with us Lori Trevino, who is a public finance ratings analyst at Moody's Investor Service. She has been at Moody's as a ratings analyst for about seven years. Before Moody's, she held government finance positions and was also in consulting. And she is a Harvard Kennedy School alum. Lori is based in San Francisco, and she covers local governments in Arizona and California for Moody's. Lori, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you, Tom, for having me. The timing of this recording is, and I don't want to say it's perfect because so many of the topics that we're going to be talking about in some cases have to do with life and death in, in, in some of these situations. But the timing, I think, is very important because there are so many themes that are, in fact, intersecting uh, politics and finance, and they're really gaining importance. And I think that the results of what's happening very much have the potential to impact state and local government finances. And as a reminder, right now, it's the beginning of August 2021. As, as I mentioned, the world is changing. Much of this change is the result of the spread of the Delta variant. Vaccinations are available. They have been available since the spring. They currently are still available, but the U.S. numbers are still stuck at just below 50% of the population that have gotten vaccinated. Uh, this is far lower than the goal President Biden set back in the spring. The number of COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations are rising at a pace similar to last spring and fall. The good news is that the number of deaths are not rising as steeply, but they are rising. And the fact that they are rising at all is tragic, and many lawmakers are taking steps to keep the rise of the virus at bay. Just last week, the CDC issued new guidance that recommends even those who are vaccinated should wear masks in areas of substantial or high transmission. As a result, some cities and schools are considering and even reinstating mask mandates. New York City on August 3rd became the first city that will require proof of vaccination for some indoor activities, such as dining and or activities in gyms. Now, I want to turn to Lori to see if we should be concerned about the potential economic impact that governments might be facing as a result of this fourth wave of COVID-19 in California and, and in Arizona. Well, thanks, Tom, again, for um, having me. Um, so I would say that the, the potential economic impact um, on governments of this fourth wave 
um, particularly in California and Arizona, really depends on that jurisdiction's mix of revenues and whether or not their jurisdiction ends up back in some sort of a quarantine or a lockdown mode. What we found in, uh, in 2020 was that cities in California, for example, that were more reliant on uh, sales tax or hotel taxes or any sort of revenues that depended upon people um, you know, coming into an office uh, on transit, um, that those places uh, suffered the, the, the biggest challenges in terms of revenue. Um, similar in, in Arizona, you might have expected that um, Arizona would have had, um, a, 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 that their local governments would have particularly had a, 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 a significant financial impact from um, the, the pandemic um, in the last year because they have such a high reliance on sales tax revenues. Um, but interestingly, many of the local governments in Arizona were able to weather that, um, that reduction in, in revenue in part because um, of the broad nature of their sales tax, which um, includes things like groceries in some places. So uh, you didn't really see quite the same level of uh, revenue reduction. Uh, on the other hand, uh, governments that have a high reliance on tourism in Arizona, um, just like in California, definitely saw um, challenges to their revenues last year. Um, mm -hmm. And the degree to which you might see that um, this year, if, if we end up back um, with you know travel being reduced, we'll see, you, you could see, you know, some economic impacts again on those local governments um, in the current year. So some of the most recent data that uh, I literally just published uh, from the New York Times shows that Maricopa County in Arizona and Los Angeles County in California are two of the top five counties where there are the highest number of new daily COVID-19 cases. Have lawmakers there considered or instituted steps to combat this rise? Well, so Los Angeles County um, instituted a uh, an indoor mask mandate back in uh, mid July, um, and so and that's that is true for many um, counties across California. Mm -hmm. um, we saw a return to to those um, indoor mandates in, in, uh, at that time. Um, Maricopa County does not have any sort of a mandate, but there are, is definitely a move um, you know, amongst um, businesses to require um, their employees and their customers to, um, to have a mask if they're going to come inside. Um, and so it's not, it's not a mandate, but it is um, certainly thing, something that you know, has been a concern. Uh, and of course, Maricopa County and Arizona generally was less restrictive in terms of mass mandates than California mm -hmm. um, during the last wave as well. Are there financial consequences at this point that you can, that you can, that, that you're expecting or that you're forecasting, or is it too early to tell? For uh, related to mass mandates? For related to a combination of mask mandates and or a potential, I guess I'm kind of thinking back to the to where we were towards the end of July, August of last year. That, you know, I guess I was referring to that, and I think that there are a lot of folks who were referring to that as kind of the reopening rollback. Uh, I'm I'm wondering. I think that there were so many people over the last three, four, five months that were expecting that we were going to be able to continue to just go back to some level of normalcy, 
but it seems like this is a this very well could, as you just mentioned, there if there are areas that are more exposed to uh, travel or tourism, that they could be more uh, heavily impacted. Uh, are we too early at this point to think that there could be some financial consequences? Um, or is it, an, is it based on what the numbers are, what the, where the numbers are now, is it inevitable? Hmm. Well, so, you know, we've seen, um, as we've, um, had, uh, ha had counties in California opening back up, um, you've definitely seen a resurgence in, in just general activity, um, business and business activity, a little bit of tourism, not not international, but you know maybe uh, local within the state, mm -hmm. um, and that has been um, a positive financially for for those localities. If if we see though that um, case counts are rising and uh, to the to to levels where they were last year. It would not be a surprise, I think, if if some counties went back to some sort of more restriction in terms of travel and and just you know allowing people to be in closer proximity, um, and and you would definitely see you know a return to that those kinds of losses of revenues, which could be difficult. Um, you know, it's it, I think that you've seen that people have just sort of lost their they've lost the. Um, their flexibility to 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 manage through those kinds of personal uh, you know income declines. Some businesses probably couldn't couldn't make it through a second round. I would think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm going back to kind of the end of March, uh, just after the uh, the lawmakers in Washington passed the uh, Rescue Plan Act, and at that point, we raised the credit outlooks of seven of our, of our eleven municipal sectors. Uh, we were, uh, you know, positive uh, on municipal credit in general. That being said, one of the things that I pointed out, you know, even a couple of months ago, was that it was going to be necessary to reevaluate our outlook on these assignments if a significant fourth wave of new COVID cases, hospitalizations, and or deaths develops. And I think that what we very well might be, might be seeing is exactly that. So, um, as Dr. Fauci said, I remember at the beginning of last year, um, it's really the uh, the virus that makes the timeline. And on the one <laughs> hand, right? I mean, on the one hand, right. vaccinations have been able to get things opened up a little bit, um, but the fact that this is now becoming a uh, that this is running through those who are unvaccinated, it seems as though um, that's something that um, lawmakers are going to have to deal with. But stepping right. back, stepping back, uh, but still focusing on California, Arizona, one of the things mm -hmm. that I was wondering is how has the pandemic affected local governments in those states? Sure. Um, so, um, you know, in California, um, as you know, we have a, a, a pretty uh, restricted, restrictive um, taxing environment for local governments mm -hmm. um, ever since prop 13 um, you know local governments uh, have become more reliant on um, sales uh, on voter approved sales taxes and other kinds of taxes um, and and so they can't really increase their tax rates without uh, a voter approval um, and so they were really at the mercy of the whatever the economy was doing um, 
And so those cities that were are more reliant on on visitors, um, whether they be commuters or tourists or or whatever, mm-hmm. um, they they would be um, they definitely felt a bigger impact. Mm-hmm. So for example, city of San Francisco hotel occupancy was down. 70, 80, 90%, depending mm-hmm. on what month we're talking about. Um, and because the the office, you know, central business district was essentially closed, there was um, a significant reduction in um, retail activity from the folks who would have been there, um, you know, buying lunch or shopping or whatever they might have been doing, plus the tourism aspect of, for San Francisco. So there was just um, a, a real significant uh, effect on 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 the city's, uh, on San Francisco's revenues, as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a city like Los Angeles uh, had a little bit, um, a, a, some different challenges. Um, they're much more reliant on property taxes. Um, than on um, some of those other more volatile um, revenues, mm-hmm. um, but it's just uh, you know it's a it was a it's a it's a very vast city. It's a little bit harder to to turn that ship than some other places, and so um, some of the cuts that they needed to make to ensure that they um, you know were able to to fund services, um, it, it was a little bit harder to do quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, but I will say that the um, the 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 uh, American Rescue Plan Act funding that has come through um, during in 2021 has been a real um, bolster to to these cities that were um, were were losing revenues and having you know much more expenses related to the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, and will be a real. Um, it will really kind of buoy, I think, their finances, at least in the coming year, um, which will be of, of great help. Um, in terms of Arizona, um, you know, the cities in Arizona are uh, are much more reliant on sales taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, generally, it makes up two-thirds of the revenue of, of most cities, at least. Um, and those can be uh, collected locally or on the state level and then shared with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they have the ability to raise their sales tax rates and to apply it to a variety of categories that you know you couldn't apply it to in California, and so what we saw in 2020 was that um, those cities that were um, taxing groceries, uh, for example, and and other you know sort of um, you know required purchases. Um, really were able to manage through much better than those that um, that did not. Mm-hmm. Um, but Arizona has um, a much more flexibility in terms of their um, ability to cut their costs. And so what you find is that um, Arizona cities t- uh, tended to um, manage through the pandemic through cost cutting um, much more readily than um, than California cities did. Um, and, um, and, and their sales tax revenues did not decline as much as they did in places like California. Tourism taxes, on the other hand, were, were our, our challenge for, for Arizona. One of the things that a lot of investors have been asking me about is, has, has to do with, uh, ratings, upgrades and downgrades. And I'm wondering if there were some, and I know that, uh, last year downgrades, slightly outpaced upgrades. I was wondering uh, mm-hmm. if there are any high profile uh, downgrades that occurred within the within 
local governments in California and Arizona and that you can mention and why it is that, that they occurred? We did have changes in outlooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for example, the city of Los Angeles geo bond rating was, um, was AA2 positive in 2019. And as we came into the summer of 2020, we changed that to back to stable. Mm-hmm. Um, at, Lo- at Los Angeles, like many cities in California, really learned the lesson of the prior recession. Um, the Great Recession, which was um, really more of a real estate uh, driven um, recession. And so, you know, being really reliant on property taxes, um, they wanted to, uh, they didn't want to have those kinds of risks, um, you know, going forward. And they, uh, Los Angeles pa- had passed um, a minimum reserve policy and had been building its financial position over the last decade. And there'd been just a significant amount of, of development going on in, in Los Angeles, which was really driving that positive outlook. Um, and uh, as it became clear that, you know, they were going to have, um, they were going to start eating into that reserve for, because of uh, the pandemic, for example, that was uh, one that we we took off of positive and, and brought back to stable. Um, city of San Francisco was a triple A uh, stable. We had we uh, moved that to a negative in, um, last summer as well. Um, and that was really uh, related to our, our anticipation that, that, that their property tax base might suffer um, mm-hmm. because there had been such a tremendous amount of commercial development in over the last 10 years. And because of the mechanics of the property taxing um, system in California, that, that could um, uh, could uh, really drop off. Now, that wouldn't be something that would happen until fiscal 2022 because the, of the delays in the valuation that occur um, through that process, through that, uh, you know, assessed value um, process. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, we were anticipating that that could have um, an effect on, on the city over the longer term. Um, and of course, just the loss of so many of these more volatile re- revenue sources like hotel and, and sales tax and business taxes um, was driving that. Now, has the uh, considerable amount of relief from the federal government uh, in the form of uh, the Rescue Plan Act and the uh, some of the other uh, relief that has been uh, that's come through? Is that something that uh, is going to be considered in your uh, near-term evaluations? We have been considering that in our evaluations, mm-hmm. um, you know, since, since those um, funds were um, uh, were made available to local governments. So they're, they're getting those over two fiscal years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in, you know, it's, 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 already um, apparent that it's it's making a difference in terms of mm-hmm. liquidity and um, you know j- just available uh, fund funding for um, for their increased costs mm-hmm. uh, related to the pandemic and in some cases to lost revenues um, so there, there's a lot of complication in how that money is um, allowed to be spent the mm-hmm. the uh, the guidelines are are many many pages long and uh, I haven't made it all the way through myself yet, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it, but regardless, it, we're we're, um, we're definitely taking it into account that that is um, giving um, is filling some gaps for cities in in both California and Arizona and okay. counties as well. Yeah, are we at a point yet where we can ask and have an answer 
to what the lessons learned have been in California and Arizona based on what's happened over the last kind of year and a half? Um, well, I think I, you know, I mentioned a moment ago about the city of Los Angeles having um, put in a reserve policy. Um, that was true for many uh, cities in California. Shortly after 2012, 13, many cities started implementing these reserve policies. Um, and those cities that had built their reserves um, uh, really uh, were able to manage through this, through the at least the beginnings of the pandemic, much better than than others. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really part of the reasoning that we were seeing some upgrades and and just um, more positive outlook um, on California cities uh, in recent years. Uh, and really, what I think um, allowed them to weather uh, weather the storm, so to speak, uh, and those cities that did not have those reserves in place and hadn't really used the booming economy um, over the, the few years prior to the pandemic to build up their reserves, um, they really had a much tougher time. Um, and uh, you can you could see there were lots more um, furloughed employees, mm-hmm. um, service cuts, um, and just you know general reductions in um, you know in in what they were spending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Arizona made big news where tax policy was concerned this summer, at least in my mind, mm-hmm. and that's because the state instituted a pretty significant tax related measure back in June. Arizona now has a two and a half percent flat tax, and it's being described by some as a measure that, quote unquote, cuts taxes for all taxpayers. If that's the case, Uh I'm wondering what the financial consequences for Arizona local governments and especially cities and schools Uh are likely to be in coming budget cycles. Well, I think it's really important to note that this change in tax policy was a reaction to two things. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, that there had been a significant increase in state revenue in the in in the last decade, um, and that the um, the state was anticipating a two billion dollars surplus for fiscal twenty twenty one, and that was combined with voter approval of a proposition. Uh, proposition two hundred eight uh, was approved in November of twenty twenty, and that. Um, measure applied a three and a half percent income surtax um, on um, individuals making two hundred and fifty thousand or joint filers making five hundred thousand a year, and th- those funds were intended to be earmarked for K twelve public education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the proposition I think was surprising for many in the state that um, is really known for its conservatism and being generally anti tax. Um, but I think it's an it's really indicative of um, demographic shifts in the state. Um, the population of Arizona has grown dramatically in recent years. Yeah, so this um, isn't good. this isn't going to happen without the growth that's been going on. Exactly. Yeah. So there's okay. been a lot of younger people coming into the state, uh, particularly into Maricopa County, um, and you've really seen uh, a shift in politics in Arizona and and, and in Maricopa in particular. Um, to be, you know, somewhat more liberal. P- presumably, these folks are coming from places, you know, nearby, perhaps California, um, and they're more interested in in increasing funding for schools. And Arizona mm-hmm. had one of, has had one of the lowest per pupil funding levels in the U.S. for for years. So um, the state went from having a, you know, a somewhat progressive tax rate of, you know, going from two and a half up to four and a half percent for income. Um, at the highest bracket 
um, to now having this flat tax um, plus that three and a half percent surcharge. So I think that the finances for the state have been have been um, in, proving pretty significantly in recent years. We did actually upgrade the state of Arizona to AA1 um, in 20, um, 2019. Mm -hmm. And um, and that was in part because of this, you know, tremendous economic growth going on in the state. Um, and so it, it, it will potentially reduce or, you know, shift the amount of revenue depending on how, you know, it works out relative to, you know, to the the income levels of of the residents, um, I think that the the question will be um, in the future. So, is the state going to essentially, you know, swap the money from the three and a half percent surtax um, with funding they would have been giving to schools regardless, um, or are they um, are they going to increase funding to schools because of that? Um, and uh, the uh, Generally, though, income taxes flow to the state, um, and it, so it's up to the really, it will depend on how the state decides to allocate things. Um, there is an uh, urban revenue sharing um, uh, component to the state budget where, uh, based on populations, um, state revenues are shared with local governments. Um, and, you know, when times get tough, that has been a place that the state has cut in the past. Um, but you know, for the moment, when you're seeing um, tremendous growth, uh, economic growth, um, it's hard to anticipate what the the um, the impact might be um, on that those kinds of uh, state shared funds um, when a recession comes, depending on what kind of recession it, it might be. Right, that makes sense. So, yeah. so one one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we touched on. It has to do with ESG or environmental, social, and governance factors, and that's going to be the the last thing that I'm going to mm -hmm. ask about here. You know, ESG themes have become more important with investors in recent years, and with uh, state and local governments. Uh, I think that if anything, most people would agree that environmental factors have also been getting an increased amount of attention this summer. David Wallace Wells described the recent backdrop as a quote unquote climate permanent emergency in a July 1st article in New York Magazine and especially in California and when I was just in Minnesota last week I could smell the wildfires that were coming down from Canada uh, heat stress and an increased risk of wildfires exist and are among the challenges that local governments that you cover especially in California are faced with I'm wondering how can local governments best manage these e or environmental risks and or are they taking steps to manage them? The last couple of years have been um, kind of a, a rude awakening in some ways for uh, Californians and, and to some degree for, for Arizonans as well. Mm -hmm. We've seen um, increases in heat waves and along with that, uh, you know, we've had challenges with wildfires and our investor-owned utilities that serve uh, particularly in California, you know, being involved in those wildfires and and in some cases um, doing rolling blackouts during heat waves to to do two things: one, to to conserve energy so that we can shift it to places where it's most needed, but also to reduce um, the risk of starting a wildfire if if that heat wave happens at the same time that you've got 
some sort of wind event um, in the Sierras, you might you might see areas that are that are dependent on the transmission of power through those um, high wind areas lose power for a while because they don't want those those lines activated during during a, a big wind event. Um, and you can see, you know, obviously what happens when, you know, we saw the tragedy in, in November of 2018 for the town of Paradise and, and other parts of Butte County in California. Um, but last year, for example, we had a heat wave in August that occurred right around the same time that we had some pretty significant um, wildfires. I think it's difficult for local governments to be prepared for those things. So, you know, those local governments really have to be ready to sort of deal with those emergency situations. What you're saying is that they're going to have to be reactionary. There isn't a lot of prep. Yes. There's not a lot of preparation. Okay. Okay. Not, it's hard to be, I think it's hard to be prepared other than to just know that you need to have those emergency plans in place. Mm -hmm. I mean, California, certainly we have um, a very, uh, we have a well-developed emergency uh, response system um, mm -hmm. statewide. Um, and, uh, but it, 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 it sort of ends up feeling like you're in sort of a permanent emergency state during uh, late summer because, you know, there's always going to be a fire somewhere. Right. Um, and and or uh, a heat wave somewhere right and and if you add to that power outages then then that becomes a really a big challenge right well i think that uh challenges seems to be the theme for the summer of 2021 yes uh, right uh lori thank you very much for uh joining us today to to talk about what uh local governments in arizona and california are facing i appreciate it. i really enjoyed our discussion you can follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn and want to thank everyone again for uh, joining us today. We look forward to bringing you more color in the future related to topics that intersect the worlds of politics and finance. This has been Tom Kozak from Hilltop Securities. Thanks for listening to Hilltop Talks a Hilltop Securities podcast where we navigate the impact of politics and finance on the financial markets. For those interested, you can view our Hilltop Securities economic and municipal commentary by visiting hilltopsecurities.com backslash municipal dash commentary and hilltopsecurities.com backslash economic dash commentary. You can also follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again, everyone, for subscribing, tuning in, and participating. We look forward to bringing you more color in the future on topics that intersect both the world of politics and finance. This has been Tom Koslick at Hilltop Securities. This communication is intended for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice, nor is it an offer or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any investment or other specific product or service. Financial transactions may be dependent upon many factors such as, but not limited to, interest rates, tax rates, supply and change in laws, rules and regulations, as well as changes in credit quality and rating agency considerations. The effect of such changes in such assumptions may be material and could affect the projected results. Any outcome or result Hilltop Securities or any of its employees may have achieved on behalf of our clients in previous matters does not necessarily indicate similar results can be obtained in the future for current or potential clients. Hilltop Securities makes no claim the use of this communication will assure a successful outcome. For additional information, comments, or questions, please contact Hilltop Securities, Inc.
Hilltop Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Hilltop Holdings, New York Stock Exchange, ticker symbol HTH. Hilltop Securities is located at 717 North Harwood Street, Dallas, Texas, 75201. Phone number 833-4-HILLTOP, H-I-L-L-T-O-P, and is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and the Securities Investor Protection Corporation.